Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we're thankful that we can enjoin these songs of praise to the name of Jesus. Lord, that we can attune our hearts to think of things from the Bible, to understand your truth and your wisdom. Lord, we just ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom today to minister your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, we're going to look at a phrase from the Bible. That phrase is, with grace. Uh, You would think as many times as grace as used in the Bible that the phrase with grace would be found a multitude of times and actually only three times in our King James Bible is this phrase with grace used. And so uh, this morning uh, what I am going to attempt to do is to look at those three passages and uh, uh take the message of each passage and try to mold them together to make one more complete message. When God uses phraseology uh, in, in our Bible, oftentimes it will help us understand what God is saying by studying that through. And uh, if you like sermon uh, preparation and all of those things, when you take one passage and spend Uh, your time there, uh, that is called an expository message. That is expositing or mining from the scriptures what is there. And uh, when you take a topic, that's called topical. And when you take a text, of course, it's called a a textual message. And this morning, we're going to take three different texts and attempt to have an expository message from each one of those texts and then put them together. And so our first is in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And the writer of Hebrews is finishing up uh, the, the great... Uh, treatise that the book of Hebrews is, I, I love to call Hebrews God's switchboard. It is where all of the connections are made in Scripture. Uh, a, a misunderstanding or a misapplication from the book of Hebrews can have terrible implications on your theology. It can just uh, really, really hurt you in so many ways. And Yet, in order to understand Hebrews properly, you have to master the entirety of the Scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, you must have a working knowledge of the entire Bible uh, so that when you go into the book of Hebrews, you can go back to the Old Testament and take what he is mentioning there, come into the New Testament, pick up that same theme, and understand What God is saying. And as the writer of Hebrews, whom we are not sure, most people think it was the Apostle Paul, as we look at this one verse, as he is finishing up the book of Hebrews, verse 9 says, Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Not with meats which have not profited them that have not been occupied therein. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Now, this idea of having your heart established with grace. Uh, You walk through Manhattan and you will see uh, reminders on buildings. You'll see a name on the top of the building. I took the uh, Garcia's uh, sightseeing a little bit this week just to see different things. And you'll see the name uh, of a company up here, and then it'll say established a certain date. 
and uh, they want to be remembered when they built that building. Some of them over a hundred years ago, some of them even older than that. And they wanted the name of their corporation and people to understand that this corporation has been in existence. Uh, it's a little harder uh, when you walk way down Steinway Street and it says uh, uh, serving uh, uh, fine food since 2018. And you're sitting there going, that's not established. Uh, that's brand new. Uh, and... Here it tells us to have our hearts established by grace. You know, a lot of people trust in a lot of things when it comes to religion. If you passed out tracts at all in, in this city, uh, our church tracts with us on Saturday mornings or at other times, uh, it almost seems like the standard response now is, I'm okay, I'm good, I don't need that. Uh, and, and what people are saying is, I have my own religion. I, I don't want yours. I, I am established. In fact, uh, someone told one of our people just this week, I, said, I, I was born such and such and I'm going to die such and such. Oh, okay, well, that certainly fits the definition of the word established, doesn't it? The only problem is the religion that they mentioned, which I shall not mention today, does not promise you eternal life with Jesus Christ. You see, we, we need to know something. We need to understand something. There's an awful lot of doctrine out there, and they're always changing. It says here, it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. People have asked, where, where do you get the, the confidence that you have when you preach on Sunday morning? Oh, that's easy. I am giving you God's opinions. And as long as I'm giving you what God says, I am, uh, tongue-in-cheek here, fairly confident uh, that what I am telling you is the immutable counsel of the creator God of the universe. That I am giving you original intent. I make no apologies for what the Bible says. Because this book is established. You can argue about it all day. Be my guest. But we're not going to argue about this book in this church. It is established. It is God's word for English-speaking people. It does not need to be improved. It is so amazing to me. Another sermon, another day. But here's what Jesus said. He said, not one jot or one tittle shall pass till all be fulfilled. Now, would there be anyone so bold as to stand up and say, I believe Jesus is a liar, that, that he was at best deceived when he made that statement? Would there be anyone here that would be that brash or that bold to do that? Wouldn't think so. And yet, here is the claim of Mr. Tischendorf on his New Testament as he was trying to develop a pure text of the New Testament and made 25,000 separate alterations to his New Testament. Now, how does that qualify for a jot and tittle Bible? Uh, it, it doesn't. Either Jesus is true and Mr. Tischendorf is uh, whatever Mr. Tischendorf is, or Jesus is the lunatic and Mr. Tischendorf is the scholar. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of Mr. Tischendorf other than me mentioning him in the pulpit here? Uh, he is one of the founders of the new Bible versions in the English language. Without his work there would have not been anyone who had been so bold to say, we need to change our King James Bible. 
He's not the only one, but one of the main ones. And I, I just want to challenge you something here. The Bible says that we're not to be carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. If Jesus said there was a pure word of God, the question is, where would you find that pure word of God in the English language? I'll tell you, Mr. Tischendorf and Westcott and Hort and, and uh, all of the other Bible translators there have disqualified themselves in claiming that this Bible is all full of errors and so they're going to offer us one based on a text that has a hundred times the changes that this one does. I think I will just remain established. Meaning, in a fixed place. Not moving. Original intent. Oh, we have people today talking about that phrase. It's come up again. And the only thing is, what they're talking about is the Constitution of the United States. They said, we want to talk about the original intent of the believers, uh, of the founders of this country. Uh, I want to tell you that there was not one founder of the United States of America who believed in adultery. Uh, there were some that practiced it, but there was not one that believed it was good. Not even the people who practiced it believed that it was good. Uh, let alone all of the moral perversion of this day. If you had brought forth... Uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin, who was certainly one of the most liberal, talking about morality and, and, and things of the founding fathers, and said, the First Amendment of our Constitution guarantees the right of pornographers to publish their stuff. And uh, I'll promise you this, Benjamin Franklin would have been the first to put an axe to the press and destroy the type and the engravings. Because he certainly knew and understood enough that immorality is not freedom, it's only bondage. It's just another form of slavery. It's amazing to me, all these people want to be free. And yet, they put themselves in bondage to illicit drugs, to, over the, uh, to medical prescriptions... I mean, if you want to complain about something long enough, there's a doctor that will give you drugs that will make you feel better. Uh, let me tell you something here. It says that, that we need to have our hearts established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. And what the author is simply meaning by the word meats is things that you can hold in your hand. Is there anyone whose life has been established by only that which they can hold in their hands? And I promise you that it hasn't been. That's why we have such a high level of emotional and mental instability. And we're always inventing new diseases. Uh, and new syndromes, and new this, and new that. Uh, my favorite one line is simply this. If we could take good old-fashioned discipline and put it in a serum, we could empty most of the psychological wards of, of this country. The reason people are there is because they cannot say, no, they cannot discipline themselves in any way. We could empty the prisons if we could just put discipline in a serum and inject it into the hearts and souls of people. But that cannot be done. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever met a truly gracious person who was not very strongly disciplined in the way that they lived. Have you ever met a truly stable person 
And what I mean by stable is a person that when things fall apart around them, when they're put into a time of great testing and trial, uh, they don't go running for a pill bottle. Uh, they don't go running for all their friends to call up. They're, they're not Google searching the answers to all of their problems. Uh, they, they have a stability about them. They have a way to go through. They're solid, as we might say. They're not moved by all of these things. If you know somebody like that, you know somebody that is, has a heart that's established by grace. If all you're trusting is what you can hold in your hands, I'm telling you, you're going to be moved. That's why on that, what was it, Black Tuesday when the stock market crashed in 1929, they were throwing themselves out of windows because their meats, what they could hold, what they thought was going to satisfy them, all of a sudden was gone. And it wasn't coming back. And they say, I have nothing to live for. It says it's good. It is good. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. We were doing a little work at the Community Baptist Church yesterday. Uh, Andrew and I were trying to get the baptistry ready, and what that meant was going down into the basement and uh, running some wires there and a circuit that would hold the baptistry heater and, and getting things ready for that and trying to find a place to bring the water into the baptistry and take it out of the baptistry and, and, of course, uh, going down into the basement there is, uh, is quite a project. Andrew spent about a half an hour just sweeping away uh, the cobwebs and all of the strange little ooey-gooey things that get in the way when you have to crawl in a dirt floor basement like that that hasn't been cleaned or kept up in years. And uh, I said, Andrew, you're going to do that part. Amen? Uh, and... Uh, Of course, he did with all due diligence. But what we were looking at is while we were down there, he was showing me a few places saying, you know, is the foundation sure? Is the building solid? And it is. You see, this idea of established is to be set in a place. It says to set a person, etc., permanently in an office, dignity, or condition. Now, please don't raise your hands here, but this is just something we need to think about this morning as we're talking about growing in grace this year. We're we're talking about serving the Lord through His ability and His effort. We want grace to be part of our life. Here it says, an established heart. One of the things that you do with the foundation is you dig down below the foundation and you either pack the ground very tightly. Oftentimes, modern days, we will actually pour what is called a concrete footer in the ground, something that is solid, that's not going to move. Then we build the foundation on that footer and then we pile dirt around it to keep the forces of this world, the forces of the building, the force of wind and weather, trying to move the building. Uh, We pile things up around that foundation. We cover that foundation so it cannot move. Well, that's what grace does. Grace is what keeps you doctrinally pure. We talk about grace being unmerited favor. How many of you know someone that is 100% dead dog convinced of something that's wrong. I mean, you're not going to change them. They know. Beyond any shadow of a doubt. 
They're convinced. And you're not going to change it. How many of you know people like that? And they're just as wrong as the day is long. Uh, They couldn't be more wrong if they tried and set out and said, Now, how can I arrive at the most ridiculous, unlogical, dumb conclusion of the world? How could I get... And they they couldn't arrive at a more correct place if somebody had given them a road map. But they're sure. Now, most of the time, we call people in that condition politicians. Amen? Isn't that true? Working definition of a politician is someone that's 100 convinced, dead dog certain. I don't know what dead dog certain is, but uh, uh, it sounds pretty serious to me. Especially if you come down south where you have a dog. They mean something different down there. Um, But they're wrong. They're just plain wrong. It's tragic. I met a man in the subway up at Dittmar Station years ago. And uh, he took one look at the track and said, you're the kind of idiot I despise. I said, really? He said, you ought to read this. It'll do you some good. And he said, I've been to seminary and I know. I said, no, you haven't. You've been to cemetery. And... Uh, I don't know, I was just in a belligerent mood that day. Uh, I hope and pray it was more flesh than spirit, I don't know. But before the whole, con- the whole conversation was over, he was using profanity, and he, he was going, blank you and blank, blank me! And I'm saying, I agree with that. And he looked like this and just walked off. And What do you do with people like that? Well, number one, don't follow them. Hello? Don't follow them. Uh, Don't try to talk with them. Uh, Have your heart established. In order for that foundation to be locked in, it's got to be the right stuff, my friend. That's why the author starts a verse by being carried not about with Diverse and strange doctrines. You know, there's new doctrines coming up all the time. I was bringing home Jason and uh, Anita and little Solomon from the hospital, and the GPS told me, take this turn, and I was going, oh, no. And it took us a half an hour to get off the block, to get on the bridge, to get home. And I'm going, I hate Apple Maps. But anyway, um, as we're going down the block... We see this thing, and it was the foundation of truth uh, for all dimensions or something weird like that. And and then it had a list, and and it said that uh, the American Indians are Edomite, uh, I mean, are of the tribe of Ephraim, and uh, the people from Honduras are from the tribe of... uh, and listed all the tribes of Israel and was giving people groups in different parts of the world, North and South America, that uh, they were the lost tribes of Israel. And I'd like to challenge you. The reason we call them the lost tribes is because nobody knows where they are. (laughs) Uh, And if no one knows where they are, I am not going to trust a billboard outside this spurious religious-type building as to be anything. But people believe that stuff. You know why? Because this isn't good enough for them anymore. But don't you know how simple and old-fashioned that book is? Yes, I do. If it weren't simple, we couldn't understand it. And if it weren't old-fashioned, it wouldn't be Bible. Amen? Uh, If it's Bible, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not Bible. You can bank on that. And God doesn't want us to change anything. The writer of Hebrews is writing here probably just uh, shortly before or after the destruction of Jerusalem. We we do not know exactly when, though he does not reference that 
uh, point there is about that time period. And he's telling us that our hearts need to be established by grace. Simply mean our hearts have to have the right doctrine. And then we fill in all of that stuff to keep the foundation from moving. Tell you what, you can get in a lot of trouble doing foundation work. I have a pastor friend in Brooklyn who's been in court for over 20 years. His next-door neighbor tried to put up a building illegally without proper approvals. And he hit something. And 50 feet away, whatever he hit moved and put a crack this wide in the auditorium wall. Moved the foundation of the building. And he's been in court for over 20 years trying to get a settlement to rebuild that building and fix it up the way it should be. Good luck. But I want you to know something. You put your heart on the Word of God. You set it on the truth of God's Word. It is God's favor. It is God's goodness. It is God's blessing. If you pile those up around that foundation of God's truth, it will keep you from being moved in a world that can't sit still. Can we say amen? Sermon number one. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. These are not in order of our Bible going back forth, uh, but uh, just the order that I wanted to put them in for the sermon. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, I hope you'll follow me this morning. The Bible says it's a good thing if your heart be established with grace. And if you will, as the picture I'm trying to paint, Fill in that soil and that uh, uh, substrate that holds the foundation in place. That grace is going to hold you on a true doctrinal pattern. That grace is going to keep your heart from moving. And you're going to have the ability to sing instead of sigh. If you look through the Bible, you'll notice one thing about the people of God. The people of God always sing in the Bible. Don't they? They sang a song when the army of Pharaoh was defeated and destroyed at the Red Sea. They, they sang songs all through the Bible, the book of Psalms. The longest book in the Bible is all the songs of Israel that were recorded uh, all the way from Moses up until the exilic period. When they came back, there were songs written and were put into that, uh, that collection there of psalms. The Bible says, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Anyone tell you one of the best things about singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord? You don't have to worry about being on tune. And you don't have to worry about being in tune with other people. Because if you're in tune with God, guess what? He'll take care of the rest of it. I'll tell you, I one of my Things I listen when I listen to music, especially uh, uh, there are some of the old Heartland recordings that just bring a tear to my ear uh, because they had a uh, little band or orchestra. If you have any of those old recordings, uh, 
they used to dump those songs onto the uh, witness recording or something. So you'd have all these great songs that worked on by the group, and then you'd have this uh, quote-unquote little college band playing, and sometimes it was really good, and sometimes it was like, nobody tuned the instruments. Ah! And, and uh, especially high school and junior high bands are notorious for this because they're not developed in their ability to hold uh, the pitch and intonation with other instruments. And, and I will tell you, this is something we've dealt with over and over again in the church. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Do you realize that the church itself is one of the most unusual, miraculous living organisms on the planet earth. The church is the body of Christ. And, of course, you cannot see what I see standing in the pulpit as I am looking out. You are all looking at one. I am looking at many. And and as I scan our our group here this morning, even though we uh, don't have as many people as we have had on other occasions, etc., etc., we still have a great diversity in our little church. We have many different backgrounds, many different uh, strata, many different languages and cultures represented here. Yet we have one church. And one thing I want to tell you, And this is true. Anyone who has wanted to be a part of this church and willing to surrender to the Lord has been able to be a part of this church and sing with grace and be working members one of another. You know what we have sometimes? We've had problems where Someone's wanted to use the church to do their own thing or promote their own thing. And that's always sad. And I try to talk to them, try to help them, but I'll tell you one thing I have learned. Unless their heart is established with grace and they're willing to learn how to sing with grace, it's never going to work. That melody in your heart between you and God is where God does the work to meld you in and make you a part, make you a working member of the church. This singing with grace. What did uh, uh, Nehemiah say? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Can I ask you a question? Have you lost your song? If you're not careful, you can lose that song. Your heart can be established with grace and you say, I'm not moving, I'm not going to change anything. And But you can lose that song. Look what that verse says there. Let's, let's just look at it in its entirety here. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So here we have a complete process. We have to let the word of Christ, let the word of Jesus, let the word of God dwell richly. That idea of dwelling means to live in, to be at home in. Uh, How often have you heard the little cliche? Well, you can have a house, but only God makes a home or something along those lines. And this idea of having the Word, letting the Word of Christ be at home in your soul is being obedient where you can be obedient. It's surrendering. One of the first issues of surrender is the baptismal tank. First, you've got to get saved. If you're not saved, nothing else matters. But once you get saved, you need to be obedient to God in baptism. That's what the Bible says. It's just as clear as clear can be. The Word of God dwelling in you richly. 
helping to encourage each other to be servants in the Lord. Do you know your attendance, faithful attendance, encourages others to attend faithfully? Uh, being, uh, singing the songs out loud uh, are good, but the Bible says singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, that's what makes it all work. That's what makes this thing happen. The Word of Christ is the source. When I think of having joy and, and being able to trust God and all of these things, I, I love the 23rd Psalm. It says, Thou preparest a table before me. Where? In the presence of mine enemies. Do you know how hard it is to eat and enjoy a meal when you're being attacked by someone? You stop and think about it. How much turmoil, how much emotional upset does it take in your life to spoil your appetite? Of course, I'm sure there's someone out there who says, that doesn't spoil my appetite, it just makes me hungry. Uh, be careful. I mean, you can eat yourself to death. I mean, there are people that have. Uh, Listen, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. That's the joy. That's the grace. That's what God does to keep us. That's If your heart is established by grace, God will give you that song. Uh, I'm reminded... Uh, as far as I know, this man was not uh, a Christian or whatever, but he, he loved the piano. And during World War II, he was imprisoned. He was put in a concentration camp because he was uh, not part of the reigning regime. I think it was uh, by the Japanese that he was imprisoned. He was a, uh, but he was a concert pianist. And he was in prison for several years, never let out of the cell, never allowed to touch a piano. And it said he got out of jail, and the first thing he did is he went to the piano and sat down. And it said you could not tell that he had not practiced. Because what he had done in that prison to keep his sanity was he had played an imaginary piano over and over again, played those songs, and it allowed him to get through that great time of testing and torture and suffering in his life. Now, if that will work with the piano, I want, to, I want, to, I want you to understand it works with the Word of God. The first thing the devil wants to take away from you is your song. Are you singing? Maybe you don't have one yet. You just not have not grown to that point spiritually where you've learned to sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, so many people love this loud boom, boom music that's out there is because it drowns everything out and you don't have to worry about what's going on in your heart because you're so numb you can't tell. But as believers in Christ, it says it's a good thing for a heart to be established with grace. You take the doctrines and the simple truths of the Bible and you pile God's blessings and grace up there. And that will take that foundation, that establishment of your heart and will lock it in so that it cannot be moved. And that grace has got to go somewhere. That's the thing about grace is you can't just keep it to yourself. It's going to find its way back to the one who is the originator of grace. And the way we worship him. You, you want to sing better on Sunday and in our congregational singing? You work on that song in your heart. Singing with grace. You know, you can... Uh, uh, a lot is said of imagination and fantasy and virtual reality and all of that stuff. 
And if you are one of those people that think you're some great opera singer and you're singing oh, in your heart, you got to get that fixed. All right, please. It's not about you. It's about God. Singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. Sermon number two. Let's go to the last one. You only got to turn a page maybe. I'm actually there in my Bible. Colossians chapter four, verse six. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. If you want to, you can just turn a few pages back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. And there's a like verse there that I'd like to bring into our consideration this morning. Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You know, God gives us grace for a purpose. God wants our hearts to be established by grace so that we cannot move. He wants us singing with grace so that we will have that joy and that freedom from the burdens and the cares and the crushing concerns of this life. But He wants that grace not only to be reflected to him in song, but to be ministered to those that we come in contact. How is our Christianity going to be real if we can't use what God has given us to minister to others? You see... It doesn't say let your speech be always with grace, always with truth. Because your speech can't be with truth, your speech ought to be truth. You see the point there? But how many of you have heard the truth used dishonestly? Don't raise your hand if you've done that. That's what the altar's for. Confess it to the Lord. Let's get rid of it. Amen. But, but truth in and of itself can be used in a wrong way. I've known people who have said, well, listen, I'm not here to upset you, but I just got to tell you the truth. And usually it has nothing at all to do with truth. It's just them sharing their opinion. And understand something. When someone comes up, especially in the workplace and that, and says, well, we understand me. We does not mean we. We means me. I got a problem with you. And if you treat it that way, you'll, you'll find your pathway through life is a whole lot easier than trying to figure out that everybody's against you because everybody usually doesn't do anything. Uh, I'm, I'm still looking for that. Nobody. Has anybody ever found them? Not me, nobody. Uh, not me does every bad thing in the Montoro household. If I could ever find that rascal, I could solve a lot of problems. Who did this? Not me. Nobody. Oh. One of these days, I'm finally going to get a hold of him. Then I'll be old and senile and all by myself and I won't care. Amen. But let's understand something here. Let your speech be always with grace. Could I define a mature Christian life or someone who has grown in grace as someone who can take the truth and minister it with grace to another soul? Isn't that a good working definition of spiritual maturity? I mean, most of us have run into people who know the truth, but they don't have any grace. That's not very helpful. In fact, that can be very hurtful at times. 
It says, seasoned with salt. That ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. How many of you remember or have heard of the old English uh, folk tale? Uh, it was about a father who called his daughters and said, How much do you love me? And the one daughter said, I love you as the world. And another one said, I love you more than words can tell. And his last daughter came up and said, I love you as fresh meat loves salt. He said, get out of my house. That's English folktale. You don't love me. And you follow the story. And years later, she is getting married. And uh, uh, somehow her father is there at the dinner uh, of the wedding because it's all royalty and things like this. And. She has all the meals prepared without a touch of salt. And the father remembers his foolishness in tasting the meals with no salt. And said, truly my, my youngest daughter loved me the most and I think she's dead and gone from me forever. And he's weeping and she comes up and says, I'm your daughter. And everything ends happily ever after. But how many of you have had this experience? You taste it and you say, it just needs a touch of salt. And not me or nobody's been there and unscrewed the lid. And you turn the salt thing over and the lid falls off into your food. And this little white pile is of salt is on top of whatever it is that you're trying to eat. Now, if it's a piece of meat, you might have some success at scraping off the salt, but if it's soup, you're done. I mean, unless you want to burn your insides out, you're just done. You have to throw it away. Do we not live in a world of too little or too much? I mean, it is one of life's greatest pleasures to sit down to a meal that is properly seasoned. And all you have to do is eat. Isn't that great? Well, can I ask you a question? How in the world are you going to get to that point to where your speech is always with grace, seasoned with salt? Might not it be by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual song? Might it not be by not being carried around with diverse and strange doctrines? Not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Might this idea of being able to speak the truth with grace, seasoned with salt, come from a harboring up of God's grace in my own life so that I have enough that I can share with others? Amen? Amen? That it is a process of taking the words off the page and putting them in my heart. It is a process of taking the foundational truths of God's Word and filling in that uh, extra there to hold that foundation in place. God's grace is all of God and none of us How many of you remember James chapter 3? It says, The tongue is set on fire of hell. It's an unruly poison. No man can tame the tongue. We can guide the ships through the seas. We can harness all the animals of the earth, but we can't control that little thing called tongue. 
You want me to tell you what controls the tongue? Grace. God's blessings. Unmerited favor. That gives us the ability to hold to the truth. And not move. That gives us that song in the night. That gives us that song with grace to the Lord. Leaving our cares and our struggles behind because we don't have to figure it out. They belong to God and He will solve that problem. And that will bring us to a point to where when we speak, it's not our own ideas or our opinion. It is truth because it's in God's Word. But it's with grace. And it's seasoned with salt. It's made and spoken in such a way that it works. I will tell you this is something every one of us in this room needs a lot of. This is what growing in grace is all about. That we may minister grace to the hearers. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would give the invitation this morning. And that we would be able to understand in your word and from your truth what these verses are actually talking about. And Lord, that we would surrender ourselves to the grace of God. We ask you to do your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as Leland comes to lead us in the hymn of invitation.